The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon or evening, depending on your time zone. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another edition of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's topic is a continuation of a series that we started, and they're not in consecutive order, but we are discussing uh, complex societies in various uh, civilization hubs all over the world. Today's topic is a fascinating one. We're going to talk about the Aztecs, who have been mythologized as much as they've been uh, documented archaeologically and historically in the existing records. A lot of archaeology is involved with Aztec um, reconstructions and the uh, nature and the richness of the archaeological record is increasing uh, almost exponentially. It certainly has in the past decade. And what we'd like to do today, I think, is talk a little bit about the myth, a little bit about the reality, and uh, we're going to do that with a noted scholar, Dr. Michael Smith. Uh, Michael Smith is a professor of anthropology at Arizona State University. He is an archaeologist who has directed fieldwork at numerous Aztec sites in central Mexico, and he pioneered the excavation of houses in the study of daily life, which is a topic that uh, anthropological archaeologists is quickly moving to and has been moving to for quite a while. Dr. Smith has published six books and numerous scholarly articles on the Aztecs. His books include Aztec City State Capitals and the popular textbook The Aztecs, in addition to the study of the domestic realm, uh, Dr. Smith's research in Mexico has focused on Aztec cities and urbanism, imperialism, and economics. He also carries out interdisciplinary and comparative research on cities and urban life from deep history to the present, and his publications are available on his website at www.public.asu.edu forward slash M. E. Smith 9. Uh, Dr. Smith writes three blogs, Publishing Archaeology, Wide Urban World, and the Kalishtwaka Archaeological Project. It is my pleasure to welcome you, Dr. Smith. Thank you for participating. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, right off the bat, I'm impressed that you uh, pronounced Kalishtwaka correctly. 
Oh, thanks. Well, this is kind of my business too, so not my area of expertise, but certainly I think that what I'd like to discuss with a lot of people is the Aztecs having assumed a place of uh, significant lore ever since uh, really contemporary archaeological excavations have gone on, if not before. Why don't you give us a little bit of the background on Aztec research and how the interpretations that have been generated have, have evolved, really? Well, um, the Aztecs were going strong, um, population of several millions. They ran a big empire when, uh, when the Spaniards showed up. And Hernan Cortez conquered the Aztecs, and that's one of the dramatic stories in world history. Uh, we ask our students in class, how did 500 Spaniards conquer an empire with armies in the thousands of soldiers? Um, and so from the very start, the Aztecs had a, a big role in, in the European imagination and the European ideas about the New World. Um, and from that very first encounter with the Spaniards, European uh, travelers, conquerors, missionaries have been writing down descriptions of the Aztecs. And these descriptions um, were published very early on, um, soon after they were made, and they continue to this day as sort of a major source of information about the Aztecs. Um, the written sources... Pretty soon, native peoples uh, learned to write in the European script, and so they wrote accounts, sometimes in the Aztec language, sometimes in Spanish. Um, and these early written accounts have colored the way people have viewed the Aztecs, um, even up to the present day. And a lot of the archaeology that's done today um, is done taking into account what the early written sources said about the Aztecs. So you're talking about the early written accounts basically going back to the conquistadors and their initial uh, contact with them, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the kind of account I'm I'm talking about. And um, the way the Aztec studies developed, well, originally it developed in uh, as a historical field of study, not so much archaeological, and in terms of investigating these accounts, the Aztecs had a limited form of writing. Scholars were interested in how did that work, can we decipher these writings, uh, and archaeology got going uh, fairly late. Um, a few big monuments were found early on in the 18th century, in the 19th century, the Aztec calendar stone and, and a few others, but in terms of actually identifying Aztec sites, and excavating them and, and studying them, um, that didn't get going until um, late in the 19th century and into the 20th century. And if you would, I know this is a difficult question to pose, and, and it probably doesn't have a single answer, but what exactly would you imagine that the conquistadors saw when they first reached Mexico and encountered the Aztecs. What do you think it would have been like, and how did it happen, if you could, could cast any light on that? Because I know it's a difficult question. We don't have that information, but we probably do have some accounts about that. Well, yeah, we do have some accounts about that. Um, the Aztec capital, Tenochtitlan, had uh, over 100,000 people, and it was far larger than any city in Spain at the time. 
and most of the conquerors who were with Cortez were were from the countryside, and they had, frankly, they'd never seen a city that big. And when they first saw the the Aztec capital as they were approaching in their march inland, um, they were amazed. They were just amazed that there was this huge city in the middle of a lake with big pyramids, and um, they just they didn't know what to make of it. Um, but pretty soon, uh, war broke out, and and we have the the accounts of the uh, of the Spanish conquest of the Aztecs. When you say war broke out, do we know? I mean, there have been certain revisions to the to the documentation. Were the Aztecs, in fact, as violent a people as they're depicted? Uh, did they understand exactly what the Spanish wanted right away? And and uh, was the process? Did the process lead to war immediately, or did they negotiate? How did that work? Well, um, when when Cortez and Spaniards landed. Uh, the uh, the emperor was uh, Montezuma, or we tend to say Montezuma, and uh, he was following that the Spaniards were there, and he wasn't quite sure whether they were out for harm or perhaps for good, and so he did not oppose them immediately, and this is this is one of the big mysteries of Aztec societies or even of, of world history is why didn't why didn't Montezuma go out and attack the Spaniards right away? Um, and right, yeah. this was so puzzling after the Spanish conquest, you know, when the, the native nobility, the Aztec nobles found themselves within a few years, they went from being rulers of the known world to being subjects to these Spaniards. And they, how did this happen? How could this happen to us? And it turns out that the native nobles made up a story together with some of the Spanish uh, missionaries and priests, that Montezuma thought that, that Cortez was the god Quetzalcoatl returning to claim his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And they invented this story, and that story got written down in the early accounts of the conquest of Mexico. And then historians believed it, and it's in all the textbooks. It's still out there in the textbooks, even though we now know it was a fabrication. How do we know that? Um, because it doesn't turn up in the earliest accounts after the conquest. It doesn't turn up in the native accounts of things building up to the conquest. It sort of starts a couple of decades after the conquest. And, uh-huh. it, and it's a story that sort of was meant... The priests were into it. The Spanish priests were into it because they had the idea this was a Christian kingdom and the, the, the Spanish, Spanish Empire was a Christian kingdom and they were carrying out their Christian duty by conquering these barbarians and so it was preordained. Um, but there's really, scholars now think, they didn't really think that the, 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 the Aztec emperor had no doubt that Cortez was a person. He didn't think he was a god. Um, and that's one example. You said that, uh, started off saying, that, well, there's lots of myths surrounding the Aztecs. Well, that's a very good example of one that was made up a long time ago, and people have believed this and repeated it. It's in the textbooks, and it's, it's hard for us to uh, set the record straight. 
sure. It's 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 really difficult. I, I just imagine that uh, you can easily visualize how he would think that way because obviously their appearance was so different and the uniform and the armor and uh, the accoutrements that the Spanish brought in was so different. Of course, there were firearms and um, that sort of thing. And I imagine it still would have been a very unusual scene to have uh, for the the Aztecs to have seen the Spanish conquistadors coming as much as it was the other way around. Um, um, yeah, but on the other hand, you know, they weren't dumb. They knew that these were people. They didn't think, oh, maybe this is a god. Right, um, right. So so it, it just sort of... It just sort of evolved, I guess. But the the Aztecs were, would you say, even at that time, had a history of violence? Well, any you could say that uh, any society that forms an empire and goes out and conquers other peoples had a history of violence. So, in that clearly, sense, yeah, you know, the Aztecs were not any more violent than the than the Romans or the Chinese or the British in more recent times. Um, but this is another one of these myths about the Aztecs, is that the, um, the Spaniards sort of overemphasized the violent and barbaric aspects of the Aztecs um, in order to justify their conquest. And these Spaniards came in, and they killed thousands of people. They destroyed a civilization. They took a people and who were formerly masters of an empire, and they ended up not quite slaves, but almost slaves to the Spanish king. How did this happen? Well, these people were barbarian. They were violent. They were terrible. We had to conquer them. We had to set them on the right trail. We had to bring Christianity to them. And this whole sort of making the Aztecs look violent, this is where human sacrifice came in. Because the Aztecs did practice human sacrifice. It was one of the forms of their rituals. Right. But the Spaniards overemphasized this, overemphasized the extent of human sacrifice among the Aztecs. And this has led to, um, up to the present day, a difficult, it's been difficult for scholars to figure out where does the truth lie in terms of human sacrifice. And this is what the public wants. Oh, human sacrifice. Yeah, that's why I want to hear about that. It's sensationalism, basically. It's sensationalist, and that's, and so I don't know how many you know, scholarly accounts of the Aztecs start off by saying, well, the Aztecs have a bad reputation, but really they weren't <laughs> all that violent. They weren't quite that bad. Right. Well, we'll come back with uh, Dr. Michael Smith and this intriguing discussion of the Aztecs after these messages. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you a homeowner who's trying to save on energy bills and go green at the same time? Tune into Energy Saving in the Home, brought to you by 521 Compressor Saver and Home Energy Consultants with host Gary Parr and Dennis Seltzer. They have saved homeowners just like you as much as 65% on energy bills through energy efficiency practices. You'll learn about conservation, products, and services to reduce energy consumption and save you money. Be sure to listen to Energy Saving in the Home, live every 
Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back. We're having a discussion on uh, today's theme, which is who are the Aztecs, the evidence and the interpretations and current state of affairs. Uh, my special guest is Dr. Michael Smith, who is an Aztec archaeologist of renown. And we had been discussing uh, the projected impressions that we have and uh, and the documentation that we have of the conquest, the Spanish conquest of the Aztecs. And uh, what I'd like to direct to Dr. Smith at this point is, what do we know about the development of the Aztecs? How did it start? What was the connection from from later prehistory into the evolution of the culture itself? Well, um, the Aztecs were the last in a long line of uh, urban civilizations in Mesoamerica, which is Mexico, Guatemala, and northern Central America. The uh, the Maya that everyone's heard about lived in uh, southern Mesoamerica um, in the first millennium A.D., and the Maya cities collapsed. And after that is what we call the post-classic period, and this is when the Aztecs developed. Now, while the Maya cities were going on, central Mexico was the setting for one of the largest cities in the world, Teotihuacan. And Teotihuacan uh, was, had a population of over 100,000. It was a planned city of uh, 20 square kilometers, and it flourished from about A.D. 100 to 600. And this was, these were the, um, the ancestors of the Aztecs. Teotihuacan fell, and then you had a couple of other series of urban civilizations that rose and fall, and the Aztecs were the sort of the final example before the the arrival of the Spaniards. Um, now the Aztecs traced their origins; they themselves traced their origins to two two kinds of background, and these fit well with what scholars know about the Aztecs, and. Uh, the first was they were the uh, descendants of Teotihuacan and the next big urban civilization, the Toltecs. So the Aztecs said, we're descended from the people who lived in these ancient cities in central Mexico. Our ancestors have always been here, and they're the ones that came before us, and 
gave us, the king said they gave us legitimacy to rule. That's one of the sources of, of origins for the Aztecs. But the other source was new peoples who migrated into central Mexico from the north uh, several centuries before the Spanish conquest. And these people from the north, um, they're known as Chichimex, um, started off somewhere either in the north of Mexico or in the um, southwestern United States and moved into central Mexico. The Aztec language, Nahuatl, is actually related to Hopi and some of the native languages in the western and southwestern United States. So you have these two groups of, uh, of people coming together. One is the people who lived in central Mexico for many centuries, and the other were the new arrivals from the north. And out of these two sources of tradition, um, populations were growing. Uh, and around the Aztec period starts around 1100 A.D. And new people from the north were moving into various parts of central Mexico. They set up cities. These cities developed into city-states, sort of small kingdoms ruled by kings, each with its own city and farmland around it. And these city-states grew and expanded. They fought one another. They traded with one another. Every once in a while, one of them would sort of get the upper hand and conquer a few of its neighbors, make them pay taxes, and uh, then it would be defeated. It was sort of a very dynamic situation. And eventually, um, one of these city-states, which is Tenochtitlan, which became Mexico City, uh, got the upper hand, uh, conquered the others, and that's what we call the Aztec Empire. So it was a process of different groups of people coming together, city-states developed, and then one of them formed the Aztec Empire. That was in 1428 A.D., uh, and within 90 years expanded, conquered a big area, and then the Spaniards showed up. I, uh, let me, I'd like to backtrack just a little bit. I, I think that probably a number of people... Uh, who are listening out there are familiar with uh, with the growth of Tenochtitlan with respect to uh, to the expanding populations, um, but I think that the theory of uh, influx and demographic change from the American Southwest is that new, or is that is that relative is is that old news at this point? Because it's the first time. Well, it's not the first time I've heard of it, but I know that in the older textbooks, that's certainly not brought into play here. Um, it's not, I don't know, I don't think it's really new. Linguists have known for a long time that the right. Aztec language is related to these languages in the, in the southwestern United States. And um, the Aztec, their own sort of mythological histories, their own accounts of where they came from, say that, oh, we migrated south from a place called Aztlan. Ah. And that's where the word Aztec comes from, from this place Aztlan that was somewhere up to the north and they migrated down into uh, central Mexico. Um, and then when you take those accounts, and tell us exactly when this happened, but all right, people came in from the north, and then you look at the archaeology. Archaeologists have done settlement pattern surveys and excavations, and we get this big population surge just at the time that we think maybe these people were arriving from the north, and that's, that's how those things fit together. 
Now, is there a connection? Do you see any kind of a connection or direct evolution between the urbanism of Teotihuacan and what eventually established was established to Tenochtitlan, uh, which is the Aztecs in full glory? Is there a connection here, organizationally? Anything we can tell from the urban archaeological record? Um, well, that's a good question, and actually, that's something that archaeologists do research on and debate about and, and argue right. about. Um, the Aztecs knew about Teotihuacan. That the name Teotihuacan means place of the gods in Aztec. Right. They gave it that name. When you go there, you walk down the street of the dead. Well, we don't know what it was originally called. That's what the Aztecs called it. Right. You, you climb the pyramid of the moon and the pyramid of the sun. Well, again, that's what the Aztecs called these things. Long after Teotihuacan had collapsed and was in ruins, the Aztecs came along, and they set some of their major myths there. They said that the gods were born at Teotihuacan, and that's where the world was created. And so it was this ancient mythical place to them, and they actually the Aztec emperor sent some people out to dig around in the ruins, and they right. brought back objects and left them as offerings in the main temple in, in Tenochtitlan, where they've been excavated now. So there's some connection there. Um, what, how much of a continuity there was historically and culturally is something that that, that archaeologists debate. So it's it's still it's still up for discussion. I mean, you're you're a, you're a, an archaeologist who looks at. Uh, elements of the record that include social organization, subsistence environments. How similar was what was going on at Teotihuacan? How did that uh, either function as a precursor to what the Aztecs were, the modes of organization for the Aztecs and their economic baselines? Well, I, I see quite a bit of difference. Um, Teotihuacan was a large, powerful city. Um, the Aztecs were mostly organized into these small city-states. Yes, they had an empire, but it was the city-state that was the, the, the main form of organization. And um, another thing that archaeologists argue about is what was the language of Teotihuacan? And uh, some people think that, that the Aztec language, Nahuatl, was spoken at ancient Teotihuacan, and, and right. um, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think that they spoke a different language, and the Nahuatl speakers moved in later from the north. But you know, on either side, we can't really prove either of these right now. What do we know about the language of the Aztecs, if anything? Well, the, I guess the, the the main historical fact is that it was related to these uh, Native American languages in the western and southwestern U.S. and this is what led linguists to suggest that the ancestors of the Aztecs moved from that area down into central Mexico. And then the Nahuatl speakers expanded through central Mexico, and then once the empire was formed, it became a sort of a general language of the empire, sort of like Latin in, in the Roman Empire. Uh, and so people started speaking Nahuatl in many areas just for use in trade and, and diplomacy. Um, the one of the interesting things about the the origins of the Aztecs in the north is this issue of Aslan. Was it a real place? Did it really exist? Um, again, we argue about that. I think it's just a, a mythological place. Nobody has found for sure a place that is Aslan. Here's where the Aztecs came from. 
It could have been northern Mexico. It could have been the southwestern U.S. Um, we just don't know. Uh, you know, it strikes me, you know, there's that site in northern Wisconsin called Astalan. I don't know how... Uh, no, let's how not go there. <laughs> okay, we don't want to go there. Well, okay, it, I mean, okay, that's just the name of the site. There really is no That's thing. what I thought. I yeah. thought it was the name of the site. It's a yeah. little bit too far for any kind of sustained migration, that's for sure. What do we know about the uh, geography and the extent of the Aztec Empire at its peak? Um... Well, it covered um, a fairly large area of sort of central Mexico, from the Pacific coast, the Gulf of Mexico. There were probably five million people in the empire. Um, that many? Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the whole final several centuries before the Spaniards arrived was a major demographic surge throughout Mesoamerica, and especially in central Mexico. Populations were growing, cities were growing, people were expanding across the landscape, and, um, and there were a lot of people. And this is the context that the empire expanded. It conquered all these areas and, and uh, made them pay taxes. And do we know, but, but you, so you're saying its sphere of influence was absolutely enormous, I guess, and uh, certainly by those standards. What did, they, what, did they come into conflict with the Maya? Was there any overlap at all? Well, no. The, um, they, the empire got, by that time, there were still Maya people around. Classic Maya civilization had collapsed. The classic Maya cities are no longer going. But um, there was an active culture. There was still a lot of, um, of Maya speakers, and the Maya were developing their their cities and and city states were developing at the same time, but the Aztec Empire never conquered into the Maya realm, um, and they were sort of getting perhaps to the limits of what they could easily handle on an empire that did not have the wheel that did not have a written efficient written communication uh, would they have conquered the maya if cortez hadn't shown up well we, we really don't know and on that note i think we're going to take another break and we'll be right back with our special guest dr michael smith of arizona state university after these words The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Michelle Core Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We are discussing uh, Aztec archaeology uh, with uh, renowned scholar Dr. Michael Smith at Arizona State University. And one of the topics that I think um, a lot of us uh, probably uh, have established a connection to is the very, very strong link between uh, the Mexican nation and their Aztec origins. I was wondering, uh, Mike, if you could give us a little bit of background and sort of talk a little bit about the strong bond and connection between sort of uh, a Native American ethic, if you will, and the Aztecs and the contemporary nationalism uh, that that is uh, very uh, strong in Mexico. Yeah, well, um, what's now Mexico was part of the Spanish Empire for several centuries from the Spanish conquest um, until the early 1800s. And during that time, the emphasis was on Spanish culture and Spanish origins. And the sort of native element in Mexico was played down. It was not important. It was something that was seen as being inferior. And, um, and at the time of the Mexican independence from Spain and then leading up into the Mexican Revolution in the early 20th century, a lot of people started to emphasize the native background of Mexican culture and that this was a new, um, this was a new country, this was a new continent, and there was a very positive spin put on um, the Aztecs, the Mayas, the Zapotecs, and, and all of the native cultures. And this led to the early archaeology that was being done in Mexico by Mexicans. Um, and it has been an emphasis ever since. And even the, the modern today in Mexico, people recognize that the Aztecs were the ancestors of the modern Mexicans. And there's an effort to learn about them to to glorify the past in many ways and and to emphasize this as an important part of Mexican culture. Um, this led to a lot of scholarship. This led to a, a lot of emphasis on on native topics by by historians. Um, and it's also led to these major excavations that have been going on for a couple of decades in Mexico City. Um, this is what I'm talking about is known in, in Spanish as the Templo Mayor, the major temple of the Aztecs. Um, 
this was the central temple of the Aztec Empire. It was a huge temple. Um, it was torn down after the conquest of Mexico. And scholars always knew where it was. It was right under downtown Mexico City, under the cathedral, the National Palace, and the main square in Mexico, the Zocalo. But people didn't think that it was very well preserved. They thought it was mostly destroyed. Uh, and then in, in 1978, a chance find... Uh, so a utility crew was was digging a ditch for uh, you know to put in uh, some pipes or some wiring, and they came across a big stone monument. And they halted the excavations. They brought in the archaeologists. They realized that they were very close to this where the Temple Mayor should have been. And when they excavated this this monument, which had a mythological scene, um, they realized that. The main temple, the Temple of My Art, was in a lot better shape than anyone thought. And this led to the biggest archaeological project in Mexican history. Uh, and when did, when did that start? Well, the, the first find was made in 1978, and, um, and they're still going. They had to, in order to clear off the base of the temple, they had to tear down a lot of buildings that historic preservationists didn't want them to do because these were historical buildings. They were 16th century Spanish buildings. Um, but because the Aztecs were seen as the ancestors of the Mexican people, um, this was an important part of heritage. I mean, the Mexican flag today, the Mexican flag today is uh, red, green, and white and has, a, has an image of an eagle sitting on a cactus with a snake in his mouth. Now, what is that? Right. That's, yeah. that's a scene right out of an Aztec myth. Um, that's the that's the scene for the founding of the city of Tenochtitlan. Supposedly, um, the the Mexica people who founded Tenochtitlan they were wandering around. They didn't have a city, and their god said, "Well, when you see the eagle sitting on the cactus with a snake, that's where to build your city." And they uh -huh. wandered around for a while, and then lo and behold, they saw the eagle sitting there. So they built their city, and that became Tenochtitlan. So that emblem from Aztec mythology is on the, the flag of Mexico. Um, so this shows something of the importance of the, the Aztec past um, to the Mexican people and, and the Mexican government today. You got this very unusual situation that you just referenced because uh, we talk a lot about historic preservation and now you have all of a sudden, in this case, uh, two segments of the historic preservation community basically going at it. Um, yeah. One, yeah, one sort of intrigued by uh, the origins, really, of, of, of Mexico, and the other sort of uh, uh, being, I suppose, protective of, uh, of the conquistadors in a sense that that, too, is a, a historic component of it. Uh, but that said, when that excavation began... Um, you're saying it was one of the biggest, uh, or it is one of the biggest, uh, the biggest excavation in Mexico. What what are we learning from those excavations through time? Um, what we're learning is, um, well, on the basic level, we're in the architecture of how this temple was built. It was built in several stages through time, like many pyramids in ancient Mexico. Each ruler felt he had to enlarge the temple, and it was a sacred location. So you didn't want to build a temple somewhere else. You wanted to stay in that sacred location and keep the sacred power so you would make the temple larger. So the pyramid would just get taller and larger and sort of cover up the ones underneath. And what survived today, as they tore all these things down, is 
this series of several stages, the, the foundation walls of several stages of construction. So we're learning about how they built the pyramid through time. Um, and some of the most spectacular finds are the offerings. Uh, people put buried offerings all around this temple, mostly like in the courtyard and next to the temple and outside of it and around it, and they would make a, uh, a hollowed-out chamber, a rectangular chamber lined with stones, and they would put a bunch of valuable things in there. And um, luckily for, for archaeologists, a lot of these have survived. A lot of the items in these offerings have survived. Um, there's stone sculptures. There's pottery images of the gods. There's lots of there's animal bones. There's lots of there's coral, uh, crocodile bones, um, various things brought from the sea to symbolize fertility, like the coral and, and fish bones. Stingray spines. There's valuable items they had, such as uh, uh, jewelry, uh, gold items, um, greenstone jewelry, and they placed many offerings in these boxes. And archaeologists have found these, and it's an incredible record of how the Aztecs thought about their gods and the symbolism of their temple and and what it meant for the whole empire. And these. These are very rich offerings um, and sort of difficult to excavate. There's so much valuable stuff in there. And the Mexican government has put an incredible amount of resources available to the archaeologists at the Templo Mayor. And as a result, you have the absolute sort of finest archaeological techniques that you can get, the, the, the work of uh, conservation of the remains, and the quality of the excavation and preservation is, is just outstanding. Um, well, this is this has got to be a huge challenge because, as you said, this is in in downtown Mexico City, and the, just the logistics of accessing um, the archaeology through the maze of utilities underneath it. I mean, how do they deal with that? Um, very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, it, it, no, we do it, a lot it, of urban stuff in New York City, and it's imp- it's just so difficult to get at it. Yeah, and and um, in this case, there it's concentrated in one area, and it's, they're not excavating all over the city. They're excavating in this one area, and that sort of um, you know limits the 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 area that they have to deal with. Um, but it is it is tricky, and they have you know, really excellent um, crews working on it, and um, it's really quite impressive. And when, when other archaeologists like me visit their excavations, we get, we get quite jealous at the, the quality of the labs and the personnel, and uh, it, it's really quite something, the way this, the Temple of Mayor has been excavated. And I'm assuming they use a lot of uh, high-resolution imagery because they, they're not going to expose absolutely everything, so they're going to have to rely on the latest uh, non-invasive techniques as well, which is uh, what we do here as well. Well, yeah, and um, in particular, um, there's, one, there's one feature that people thought might possibly be a royal burial and so far it hasn't quite turned out that way, but it, it could end up being that way. Um, no Aztec royal burial has been found. Um, but Re- then, Really? Yeah. 
Uh, now, a few years ago, another big monument, one of these multi-ton carved stones was found uh, with an image of a god, and it had the date of the death of one of the Aztec kings, the date of Awitzotl's death, who was king before Matakuzoma. And to remove this thing was very difficult because it was this very heavy stone slab. It had actually broken in the past into four pieces and to get the cranes into place and not destroy other things. But they got the thing out, and they found a series of hollow offerings underneath. And these were just filled with all these rich rich offerings of goods, which took a long time to excavate. They used ground-penetrating radar to show further right. uh, chambers underneath. But it gets difficult because they're getting below the water level. And, um, and so they still haven't pulled out, they still haven't determined whether there's anything in these chambers or not because they haven't fully finished getting to the bottom. Any evidence for uh, for the tectonics, earthquakes in that area? Because it's pretty active. Um, well, I'm not sure what they may have found mm -hmm. archaeologically, but um, the difficulty in excavating in downtown Mexico City is that the city was, was built on an island, and the island was basically reclaimed from a uh -huh. shallow lake. And when... The, the great temple being built of stone was very heavy, and it started subsiding soon after it was built. Spaniards came in and put in cathedrals and big heavy stone buildings. So downtown Mexico City is gradually sinking. It's sunk right. quite a few feet. Mm -hmm. And shoring that up has been a major engineering task. So they have a lot of uh, stabilization work to do before they can actually proceed from area to area, I assume. Exactly. I mean, that happens. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we will discuss uh, additional aspects of the Aztecs and talk about Dr. Smith's uh, present research in the Mexican heartland uh, right after these words. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Tune into Around the World in a Glass, presented by Sportsman's. We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. 
Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host, Jordan Kimmel, is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're discussing various aspects of Aztec archaeology uh, with our special guest, Dr. Michael Smith. And uh, it, it's no secret most people associate the Aztecs with, as we discussed before, some mythic elements of that culture, some sensationalistic elements of that culture, and of course, most of all, with monuments. But the recent wave in, in archaeological investigations, really on a global scale, is to understand how the people lived themselves, the average people, what, the, what their lives were like. And uh, Dr. Smith is known for pursuing that aspect of household archaeology, if you will, and bringing it to the level of the people who actually supported the structure that resulted in, in the building of these monuments. So, uh, Dr. Smith, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own research and how you're generating interpretations on social organization, household organization, and economic life in uh, the daily Aztec uh, world? Well, when I started uh, excavating Aztec sites after I completed my uh, dissertation in the in the 1980s, virtually nothing was known about uh, Aztec commoners. Or virtually nothing was known about farmers, uh, about the way of life outside of the capital area. And so I've been excavating Aztec sites for uh, almost 30 years, focusing on houses. Uh, what I want to do is understand... Um, what life was like for most people. Today we sometimes talk about the 99% and the 1%. Well, for the Aztecs, the, the, the 1% was the nobility, and most of what we know from the written sources is about the nobility. And how are we going to learn about the Aztec commoners? Well, we find their houses and we excavate them. And so uh, what I've focused on are trash deposits, um, the Aztec commoners lived in small houses built of uh, adobe, uh, sun-dried mud bricks, and they threw their trash out back, which is good for archaeologists because we dig behind the house and we find a trash deposit. And that trash deposit will have broken pieces of pottery, stone tools, turkey bones, pieces of, uh, of jewelry, just all kinds of junk that got thrown out. And by studying all this junk, Aztec garbage, uh, I've been able to piece together 
um, aspects of, of daily life. Um, so just to give one example, one of the things I found is that these people were surprisingly prosperous and well-off. Um, how do we know that? Well, they had lots of goods that they got through trading. Um, you know, people always ask archaeologists, what's the most spectacular thing you've ever found? And uh, they course, want an answer yeah. like, you know, the King Tut's tomb or something. Well, my answer is some sewing needles. <laughs> Not very uh-huh. spectacular, but I've excavated lots of bronze sewing needles at Aztec sites. And these are, these are exciting for a number of reasons. One is that, well, bronze is a fairly advanced technology. For a long time, people didn't even know that they made bronze in ancient Mesoamerica. They thought this was an advanced technique that had been developed in the old world and the Aztecs didn't have it. Well, they did have bronze. Another thing we know from these bronze sewing needles is that they were made far away from central Mexico in the west part of the country. So when these bronze sewing needles turn up in a peasant house in central Mexico, we know that people, these farmers were tied into networks that went for hundreds of miles. And so they were able to obtain sewing needles from hundreds of miles away. They were able to get pottery, stone for tools, uh, from distant areas, and they had they ended up with a fairly well-off kind of life um, because they had access to these tools and things. And what other types of artifacts are you finding in what we call refuse pits or middens, uh, the trash basically of the the average people? What are you, what else are you finding, and what kind of information? Well, we know that they. You? that they made uh, tortillas and ate tortillas for dinner because we find the um, um, special kind of, of uh, griddle that was used to toast tortillas. Uh, we know that they made textiles out of cotton because we find little tools, several kinds of tools that were used in, in spinning cotton thread. Uh, they had a fairly rich ceremonial life within their houses. Aztec religion was not just big state ceremonies on top of pyramids. Within their houses, people had little uh, clay images of people and the gods. They had several kinds of, of incense burner, lots of kinds of, um, of, of small ceremonies were taking place inside the average house. Uh, and so I guess overall, one of the things I've found is that people were able to, to forge a, a fairly successful way of life. And then when the Aztec Empire came in and conquered these people, the effect was very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was frustrating when I first found it. It took me many years. One of my goals was to figure out how did the Aztec Empire affect provincial people. They conquered the provinces. Did this impoverish people? Did this enrich them? What happened? Thinking that it would be a very negative effect. Uh, and so we had to refine our chronology, and we had to carry out a bunch of analysis just to answer this question. And when we finally were able to answer the question, it turned out that the effect was quite minimal. Um, well, why was that? Well, it was probably because these people were able, they had access to trade goods, they were able to produce a number of things in their farming, and when the empire came in, people were able to be resilient and not be destroyed by the Aztec Empire. However, when the Spanish Empire came in, a hundred years later, it wiped them out. They basically were not able to resist the Spanish Empire. 
Spaniards didn't conquer these areas because the Spaniards conquered the main cities, and these provincial areas just sort of fell into place. Um, but many millions of people died from diseases. People were disrupted. They had to move. These sites were abandoned. Um, people were able to resist the effects of Aztec conquest, but then when the Spaniards came along, it was a different story. And on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap up our program. I think we could do probably another sh complete show on the Aztec collapse and the impact of uh, the Euro-Americans on um, Mesoamerica and, and the Aztec Empire as well. I want to thank my special guest, Dr. Michael Smith, for uh, participating in the program and uh, we will do probably another segment on uh, one of the world's great civilizations. We'll be talking about the Incas uh, in a few weeks. And again, uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.